If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verses 32 to 45 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, continuing our way through the Gospel of Mark together. Um, we'll read it together, and then if you don't have a copy of it in front of you, it'll be on the screen behind me as well as we read. But beginning in verse 32 of Mark chapter 1, we find these words, That evening at sundown they brought to Him, or to Jesus, all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And He healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew Him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him, and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. And one of the things we've said as we've been working our way through Mark's gospel is this, is that only the real Jesus can change you. The Jesus that you create for yourself, the Jesus that you conceive of for yourself, the Jesus that's a figment of your imagination, he cannot change you. And here's why, because the real, only the real Jesus can confront you, only the real Jesus can contradict you, and only the real Jesus can challenge you, right? See, a Ricky Bobby Jesus can't do any of those things. You guys know who I'm talking about, Right? In the movie Talladega Nights, whenever uh, Will Ferrell's there at the dinner table and he's praying, saying grace over the meal, and he's praying to the tiny infant baby Jesus, and then they all erupt thinking about the Jesus they like to think about, right? The Jesus that rocks a tuxedo t-shirt, right? Or the Jesus has eagle's wings and is like playing lead guitar for Leonard Skinner, or the Jesus uh, who is uh, <laughs> like eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus who doesn't know a word yet, Right? Uh, or the tiny Jesus in his golden fleece diapers with a little fat balled up fist, or the, the Jesus that's a ninja fighting off evil samurais. Right? We all have these conceptions of Jesus in our mind of who we would like him to be, but only the real Jesus, the one who has an objective reality apart from who we imagine him to be, is able to change you because he can contradict, confront, and challenge you. See, when we have assumptions about who Jesus is, we always assume he thinks everything that we think. That he affirms everything that we affirm. That he rubber stamps everything that we rubber stamp. But the real Jesus, who has an object of reality apart from our imagination, is able to confront, contradict, and challenge. And so he can change us. He can change us. And so we've been looking at the real Jesus throughout Mark's gospel thus far. And we're going to continue to do that this morning. And there's three things I want you to see about the real Jesus today. And the first one is this. I want you to see the scope of his ministry. Just how broad 
and expansive his ministry really is. See, Jesus, when he shows up on the scene, he begins to meet both the seen and the unseen needs of people. See, already in Mark's gospel, what we have seen about Jesus is that his ministry consisted of both word and deed. It wasn't exclusive to either of those categories. Early last week, we saw that whenever Jesus entered the synagogue, he taught, and when he taught, he taught as one with authority. In fact, the people were blown away by his teaching. The text says they were astonished because he taught as one who had authority, not as their scribes. He taught as one who had inherent authority in himself whenever he taught. And so he, his words carried power and weight with them. And so Jesus had a ministry of word, but he also had a ministry of deed. Right? Because immediately when he finishes that sermon in the synagogue, there's a man with an unclean spirit that he casts out the spirit and delivers the man. Right? And he heals Simon's mother-in-law. And there are many who are brought to them with all kinds of diseases and demons that had oppressed them. And Jesus, they experience deliverance and they experience healing. And in verse 36 we read, And Simon and those who were with him, uh, they went searching for him after he had departed to go and pray early on that morning. And they found him and they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that's why I came out. And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. You see, everywhere you see Jesus ministering, you have these two things, word and deed, joined together at the hip. Right? So he went around to the towns preaching and casting out demons. He taught in the synagogue and he delivered the man with an unclean spirit. Okay? He taught his one with authority and he heals or raises up Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Over and over again, you see the marriage of word and deed because Jesus comes to meet both the surface needs in our lives and the subterranean needs. Right? All of us are, are, know that there are certain surface needs in the lives of people. Listen, to live in North Texas, one of the things you... I, I didn't experience this growing up in South Louisiana, but since moving to North Texas, one of the things I realized is that when things get hot and dry here, the soil begins to shrink expansively, right? right? Drastically. Right, it begins to pull away from the foundation of your home. Right, the fields that aren't watered, what you begin to see is that there's these... I, I remember the season of drought back in, what was it, 2014 uh, through like early 2015, or 20, really 2011 through 2015. It was just very dry years. And I can remember seeing these massive fields with these, it looked like canyons running through them where there had been once grass before. Because that soil, this lovely black gumbo-y type clay, it just begins to dry up. And as it dries up, it begins to pull apart from itself. And it creates cracks in the surface. And you can see those. You might lose a small dog in one of them, but they don't go super deep, okay? Like they're surface level cracks. And listen, all of us, or aware that there are certain surface level needs in the lives of people. Right? You might have the needs of hunger. People don't have enough food to eat. You have the need of poverty. People who live below the poverty level within our own community in rural poverty. You have, so you have hunger, you have poverty, you have nakedness. People don't have clothes to wear. My wife works in a school district where she sees the same kids show up day after day in the same clothes that they wore yesterday that have not been washed and still have the stains that she saw the day before. Right, so you have, you have clothing issues, you have, you have shelter issues, you have food issues. 
Right? You have these surface level needs. They might even extend to rebellious children in your life. And you see your kids going wayward. They might extend to failing marriages as your relationships with a spouse begins to crumble. You're aware of those types of needs. It might be vocational struggles that you're having. Maybe you're working three jobs and still struggling to bring in enough money for the month. And so there's these surface level needs. And here's the deal about surface level needs. is people who have surface level needs, they know they have needs because they can see them. And they're aware of them. Right? They're blatantly aware of what's going on in their lives. And there are people all across our community with surface level needs. Whether it be hunger or poverty or nakedness, whether it be children who are going wayward, whether it be marriages that are failing, whether it be jobs that are struggling. And whenever Jesus shows up and he begins to heal, and he begins to deliver, he's addressing surface level needs in the lives of people. Because a surface level need often is met with a deed. Something that we can do to correct it. But listen, there's also subterranean needs in the lives of people. There are needs that go deeper than the surface. Listen, geologists tell us that the earth's is, uh, crust is made up of all these massive plates. They're kind of floating, floating on the molten hawk, hot, hawk, that's not a word, molten hot uh, magma underneath. And as these plates float there, sometimes they shift. They rub against each other. Whenever they rub against each other, they create what? Earthquakes, right? And some of these, where, where, these two, where these plates come together, they create these fault lines. And some of these fault lines lie so far beneath the ocean's surface that you can't see them. They're subterranean fault lines. They're there, but you, with, with the naked eye, you can't see them. And whenever those fault lines begin to shift and begin to, those plates begin to rub together, they create earthquakes that have the capacity to create massive tsunamis that would engulf coastal communities and destroy towns and take lives. But all that's happening under the surface. And you don't see it with the naked eye. And listen, there are needs like that in the lives of people as well. Needs they don't even know that they have. Needs like our own pride and arrogance, our own self-sufficiency, our own desire for control, our insecurities and our fears, our greed, our lust, our independence. All of those are subterranean needs in people's lives. And while surface needs are often met with deeds, subterranean needs are often met with words to expose those needs and bring them to the surface and give light, shine light upon those things that can ultimately destroy our lives. And listen, while those who have surface needs, they often are so willing to receive ministry. Those with those subterranean needs often resist and reject ministry. Case in point, back in the 18, or 1700s, in the 18th century, uh, in, in England during the Great Awakening, which the gospel, the gospel was bringing revival across the British Isles. There was a lady by the name of Lady Huntington. She was a part of the English aristocracy, so the noble class. right? She was cultured and respected in the community. And Lady Huntington comes to faith in Jesus through the 
gospel preaching that was advancing in her day. And she had such an incredible joy. She was contagious. And she began to invite other members of the aristocracy to come and hear about this Jesus that had given her new life. This Jesus that had saved her. And, and, and she, she began to invite them to come hear her favorite preacher by the name of George Whitfield. Whitfield was a powerful preacher of the gospel in England in his day. And so as she extended invitation after invitation after invitation, she was often met with decline after decline after decline, right? If she was sending out evites, they would all just click reject, right? I can't come. Can't make it, right? I've got to wash the dog that day. Sorry, I'm, my schedule looks full. But all the aristocracy that she was trying to minister to and bring to hear Whitfield preach would decline. And there's one lady in particular, the Duchess of Buckingham, she wrote Lady Huntington a letter saying that she'd heard about Whitfield and the message that he preached and she wanted nothing to do with that man or his words. And listen to a quote from the letter that she wrote to Lady Huntington. She says this, It is monstrous to be told that you have a heart as sinful as the common wretches that crawl the earth. This is highly offensive and insulting. And I cannot but wonder that your own ladyship should relish any sentiments so much at variance with high rank and good breeding. Now you have to have a British accent to say that properly and probably to receive it properly as well. But good breeding, right? But Jesus says, listen, I've come for both the desperate and the duchess. The desperate know they have needs. The duchess doesn't think she has any. And through my deeds, I'm willing to lean into the surface needs of those who are in places of desperate desperation. But also through my words and through my teaching, through confronting the sinfulness of the human heart, calling people. That's what Jesus says in Mark chapter 1 when he shows up. The first words out of his mouth are what? Repent and believe the gospel. He says, I've also come for the duchess who doesn't think that she has any needs. Because she can't see them. They're so far beneath the surface. The pride, the control, the arrogance, the lust, the greed, the quest for power and nobility, the self-sufficiency, all of those things lie under the surface. And Jesus says, I've come to address those as well. Now listen, if we're going to be a church that is faithful to the ministry and mission of Jesus, our ministry must have the same scope as His. Right? Listen, there's, there's, a, there's a tendency within our day and time for there to be very fundamentalist gospel preaching conversion type churches and in our American culture for there to be very liberal, socially minded deed type churches. But listen, I want you to know that in Jesus, this is so unique in Jesus because in Jesus there's so many things that are held together in tension with each other that cannot be held together by anyone else anywhere else. Right? We just can't seem to, as human beings, to hold things together. But in Jesus, He holds together this sense of conversion and gospel centrality, of preaching, exposing subterranean needs, and calling people to repent, while at the same time, at the very same time, giving himself away to those who were in places of desperation that needed to be fed, that needed to be clothed, that needed to have a roof over their head. He does both and, not either or. And if we're to be a church that is followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, then we must embrace that same scope of ministry ourselves. 
It will not be enough to call people to conversion without also leaning down with compassion to those who are in places of desperation. And so that's why at Redeemer, yes, we invite people to come. We've got invite cards on the back counter. Take a few, put them in your wallet, invite them to come. Because every week we talk about Jesus. Talk about how good he is, oftentimes about how bad we are, and about how he can take those who are in the worst of places and reconcile them to God and redeem them and renew them and restore them. They're going to hear that gospel each week here at Redeemer. So I hope you would invite, I hope you would invest in the lives of people so we might see conversions. So this trough could get filled week after week after week, and we keep baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And raising them to walk in newness of life and discipling them. But that we'd also be a church that with compassion collects backpacks and school supplies to help provide for underprivileged children in our community. That also puts together blessing boxes at Christmas. In fact, this Christmas we're planning to connect with families both in Community ISD and possibly even here in Royce City ISD. Those families who are in need Not only to bring a bunch of toys, yes, we'll give them some gifts and some clothes, but some food, but also invite them to come to our Christmas Eve service, invite them to come to be a part of our life groups, invite them to come and hear about Jesus, the good news of Christ that he proclaimed to the poor, that we be a church of both and, not either or, as we seek to follow him. The scope of his ministry, look, it's word and deed. Second thing I want you to see about this Jesus this morning is not only the scope of his ministry, but the depth of his intimacy. The depth of his intimacy. In verse 33, we're told that the whole city was gathered at the door of the home that Jesus was staying at in Capernaum. Jesus is healing people, right? Everybody flocks to the guy who's healing people. Everybody flocks to the guy who's casting out demons. Everybody flocks to the guy who's teaching with authority. So they all show up beating on the door. Jesus, at this juncture of his ministry, his popularity is on the rise. His prominence is on the rise. The opportunities for ministry were limitless for Jesus. He could have leveraged that into all sorts of, 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 of gospel encounters with people. Now listen, normally... When we experience that type of thing, when that happens for us, when our opportunities abound, we taste a little bit of success. Listen, the first thing to get squeezed out of our lives are silence, solitude, and prayer. Because if we don't strike while the iron's hot, then we might miss the opportunity. And so silence, prayer, solitude gets squeezed out like a sponge wrung out of water that ultimately ends up dry and baking in the sun, but not so with Jesus. Look in verse 35. It says, I'm very, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Now listen, Jesus doesn't just get up and go to a quiet room in the house. He goes out away from town, away from the people who are pressing in around him to draw aside to spend time with his father. In fact, the word desolate place is translated earlier in Mark's gospel as wilderness. And we said a few weeks ago, wilderness is a desert. It's where we often meet God is in the wilderness. When we come to the end of our own resources, 
at the end of our own abilities, and God shows up there. God shows up in the wilderness. God shows up in the desert. And that's where Jesus goes as he goes to pray. See, while Jesus' ministry was moving up and to the right, right? While his popularity was on the rise, he recognized that his intimacy with the Father was a priority in his life. It could not be exchanged. And listen, so where does this intimacy that Jesus has with the Father, where does it come from? So I want to, let me say it to you this way. It comes from his humility. See, as a, as a human being, he, he exhibits this incredible humility. He'd been given all authority as the Son of God himself, the creator king of the universe. And yet he lives in humble dependence upon the Father. Humble dependence. And it bursts his intimacy in his life. And listen, this is a reality in every relationship. You know why? Because you can never experience real intimacy. Think about it this, this way. Even in our human relationships, you can never experience real intimacy without humility. Right? Because you can never fully know someone and be fully known by someone unless you stop thinking first of yourself and begin to think first of them as you move towards them and you open yourself up, not close yourself off in pride to conceal all of your warts, but you expose all of those things to them. And then once they know you for who you are and you know them for who they are, then there's intimacy, but that only comes through humility. And Jesus is the pattern for that. Even though he had no warts, right? He still lives in this dependence upon the Father in humility. And he begins to experience this intimacy. So listen, if you want this, this same kind of intimacy that Jesus experiences with the Father, you have to learn to come to God as a child to a father. Listen, earlier in Mark's Gospel, in chapter 1, Jesus is baptized, the Spirit descends upon Him, and the Father announces from heaven, This is my beloved Son. And here, in Mark's Gospel, as He moves out into a desolate place, what you see is Jesus living out His Sonship in dependence upon the Father. In humility, acknowledging that He needs His Father. And listen, if you want to experience this kind of intimacy, the depth of intimacy that Jesus shared with His Father, you've got to learn to come to God as a child in the same way that He did. And there are three things about the way children come to their fathers I want to highlight. The first one is this. When children come, they come honestly. Maybe not once they hit puberty, okay? But before that, they come, they're, on, they're so honest. They're honest to a fault, right? They will say anything to anyone, oftentimes. They, have, they love to pretend, right? But they have no pretense about them. Uh, they have this great imagination. But they are often honest to a fault. See, prior to developing any sense of self-awareness or self-consciousness, they'll say anything to anyone. And listen, that's the kind of relationship God wants you to have with Him, the kind of intimacy. He wants the real you. What you're really thinking, what you're really feeling, the real condition of your heart, He wants brought to bear before Him you want intimacy with him as a father, listen, you've got to learn to come to him with honesty. He doesn't want the cleaned up version of yourself. He doesn't want the Sunday morning version of yourself, right? When you look in the mirror, you kind of primp a little bit, right? Make sure the, man, the older I get, the more I look in the mirror, I'm like, I don't even want to look there tomorrow, okay? I don't know what it's going to look like. Uh, but, but like, you don't want the cleaned up version, right? The 20-year-old version of you, 
Okay, that's not what he wants. He wants the real, authentic, honest version of who you are. He wants your rawness, your struggle, your hurts, your failures, your flaws, your frustrations. He's not looking for pretense or performance from you. It's not what he's looking for at all. In fact, if that's what you think God desires of you, then you have a very pagan notion of prayer, not a Christian one. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel in the Sermon on the Mount whenever he gives, before He gives the Lord's Prayer. He says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have their, received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. See, what Jesus says is our prayers, prayers are not meant for the applause of men. To impress other people with our vocabulary. right? But what they're meant for is to ascend to a Father who is in heaven. And He just wants the honest expression of our hearts. And while your vocabulary may be able to help you express your heart more clearly, listen, God is not waiting for you to come with words that are only found in Bible dictionaries. Okay? And words that have three and four syllables to them. Right? He just wants simple, honest prayer. That's how children come to a father. Second of all, children come not only honestly, but helplessly. Helplessly. See, children are radically dependent upon their parents for everything. I saw that when my kids were young, when they were infants. Right? I had to bathe them or else they stunk. I had to feed them. Or else they were hungry and cried a lot. Right? Had to change their diapers. Or else they stunk, okay? Right? And got rashes and cried a lot. Right? So you see the theme here, right? They were dependent upon their parents for everything. And whenever Jesus says, Come to me as children, come to the Father as children, listen, one of the greatest prayer barriers to prayer in your life is a self sufficiency and independence that thinks that I don't need God. Except only in the dramatic, dramatic ER ambulance rides. That's when I need Him. But that's not where Jesus is when He draws away to pray. Right? He's climbing up into the right, not going down into the right. And yet He's still carving out time for intimacy because it was a priority. See, if you see yourself as an all-star, a rock star, a shooting star, then you won't pray. It'll be detrimental to your prayer life. If you don't see yourself as helpless before God. And listen, here's the reality for some of us. If you don't see yourself as helpless before God, He will help you feel your helplessness. Have you ever been there? <laughs> no, I have. I have. He'll lay burdens on you that you cannot bear without Him. He will knock your legs out from under you and take your breath away. As you go through difficult seasons, your children will go astray. People that you trusted, they will betray you. You'll be criticized. You'll lose a job. You'll lose a spouse. You'll lose your health. And listen, if you don't feel your helplessness, He'll help you feel it. But to have intimacy with Him, you've, you've got to feel that helplessness and come to Him as one who is helpless. Absolutely dependent upon Him to do what only He can do. Third, children not only come that way, they also come trusting. So you'll never have intimacy with God if you refuse to believe that He knows what you need before you ask Him. And that He's willing to give you what you need before you ask Him. 
Jesus says this about prayer in Matthew chapter 7. He says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, if he asks his son for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? See, if you come as a trusting son, you come as a trusting daughter, and here's what you come trusting. Listen, some of you have heard me say this before. You come before God as your Father, and you trust that God is going to give you whatever you ask for. Or He's going to give you whatever you would have asked for if you knew everything that He knows. That's what He's going to give. He says, listen, if an earthly father knows how to give good gifts to their children, how much more so does a perfect heavenly father know how to give good things to those who ask him? And sometimes he's going to give the very thing that you are petitioning for as you trust him to give you only that which is good. And sometimes he's going to give you the thing that you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. Because our perspective oftentimes is skewed because we are finite. His perspective is perfect because He is infinite. He is not bound by space and time. Listen, there have been things that I have asked for that looking back now, I see God saved me from. If He had given that to me, it would have destroyed my life. And only now can I look back and say, thank you. I would have asked for what you gave if I knew what you knew when you knew it. See, children come honestly, they come helplessly, and they come as those who trust. They trust that God has the will, the wealth, and the wisdom to give good gifts, that He's sovereign over all things. He's our Father in heaven. See, He's no tribal deity, He's no little G God. He is the creator king of the universe who holds all things in his hands. And you can have the same kind of intimacy with him that Jesus did. So the scope of his ministry, the depth of his intimacy as he comes to his father in dependence on him. The third thing that I want you to see and we'll be done is this. I also want you to see the effects of his touch. The effect of his touch. See, the salvation that Jesus brings is holistic. Let me tell you what I mean by that. In verse 40, as Jesus is traveling around Galilee, preaching and casting out demons, he's approached by a leper. Now, leprosy in the ancient world was bad news. Okay, One of the worst diagnoses you could receive in the ancient world. Leprosy was a, was a skin disease. It was communicable, which means what? It could be transferred from person to person. And it was also debilitating because what leprosy often resulted in was the withering away of body parts, often sometimes the losing of those body parts, and ultimately death. And leprosy in the ancient world, particularly coming from a Jewish perspective, was seen as a curse of God upon a person's life. And so it's, it was a, seen as severing their relationship with God. 
But not only did it stop there, but it also severed their relationship with the community, with other people, with those they were in fellowship with, other men and women. They were cast out of the community and they had to wander around in isolation from human contact. In fact, as they wandered around, if anybody got too close to them, they would have to cry out, unclean, 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 so that people would know not to approach too closely lest their disease be transferred, communicated to the other person. In fact, in rabbinic literature, one of the things that we're told of Jesus' day, one of the things that we're told is that if a leper is camped out under a tree and a passerby walks underneath, is, let's say that leper's leaning up against the trunk and a passerby walks underneath the, just the shadow of the branches, they were deemed to be unclean and they had to go through purifying rites in order to be clean again and be a part of the worshiping community. Otherwise, they were set out, set aside in isolation. So listen, leprosy was a holistic disease. Not only did it affect the body, but in Jewish perspective, it affected the soul, cut you off from God, but it also affected your relationships. It cut you off from the worshiping community, from the people, from human contact. Could not touch anyone. Listen, infants cannot live without touch. Babies do not develop normally without touch. That's why whenever you see a child who's been in an orphanage for the first several years of their life through those developmental stages and they're adopted out of that, oftentimes there's a lot, there's much kind of reprogramming that needs to take place because they've lacked human contact. As they sat in a bed and cried all day long with not enough workers oftentimes in other countries to give the kind of attention that they need. So if infants cannot develop normally without touch, listen, these lepers lived all their lives apart from human contact. No hugs, no handshakes, no sharing of meals with anyone. Completely isolated. As Jesus is traveling around the countryside, preaching and casting out demons, I want you to notice what happens. He doesn't go up to the leper. The leper approaches him. And that leper was taking great risk in coming towards Jesus. Because we're, we're, depending upon Jesus' response, he could be killed. And what does he say to Jesus? If you will, make me clean. Listen, if he was a Greek leper, if he was a Roman leper, he would have said, if you will, make me well. In other words, just heal my body. That's what I'm looking for. That's not what he says. He says, if you will, make me clean. In other words, bring a holistic salvation to my life. Heal my body. Restore my relationship with God. Restore my relationship with others. So I can be brought back into the community and not live in isolation. And it says that Jesus, looking upon him, had what? compassion and what does Jesus do he touches him he touches him let me ask you a question church did Jesus need to touch him to heal him no he could have with a word spoken that disease would have been eradicated from this person's body So he didn't need to touch him to heal his body, but he touches him 
He touches him to heal his soul. He touches him to restore his life. To give him the very human contact that he'd been deprived all of his life. To meet him in his place of need. He touches him. And the man, the, the, the leper is made well. He's cleansed. His body is healed. And he says, go present yourself to the priest, right? Do what's required by the law to be, to be ceremonially clean so you can be brought back into the community. And in that one touch, Jesus transforms this man's life. Because see, normally, normally, here's what would have happened. Somebody else would have touched the leper. They would have contracted the disease. And they would have been wandering in the desert with him. That's not what happens with Jesus. Jesus touches him. He doesn't contract the disease, but he brings healing to his body. He he brings healing to his body to some degree by taking on the disease that the man had. It's a beautiful picture of this exchange. That God brings about whenever when Jesus meets us in our hour of need. Sometimes as in the hour of surface need. Whenever there is desperation in our life. Because one of these things that's very visible on the surface is pressing in to crush us. And Jesus shows up and He touches us. And He gives us hope beyond the food that He puts on our table. He gives us hope beyond the clothes that He puts on our backs. He gives us hope beyond this roof that He puts over our heads to know that we have living food to come from Him. Knowing that we have an eternal home that He's going to shelter us under. And knowing that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Sometimes He meets a very surface need, but also sometimes whenever He shows up, to touch us, He meets a subterranean need in our lives. He exposes our pride. He exposes our arrogance, which is like leprosy of our souls. It eats and it withers away at our very life. And it alienates us from God. And listen, if you've ever met a prideful person, it alienates them from others as well. And Jesus touches us in our place of need. He takes upon Himself our disease so that He might give to us His life. It's a beautiful picture of an exchange, church. Listen, here's what... I want you to notice something. and We're almost done, I promise. I want you to notice something. That when, the, when, the, when this particular story ends... What do you find? You find a leper who had been wandering in these desolate places because he couldn't have human contact, because he was alienated from God, alienated from others. You find this leper who was in the desolate places brought into the heart of community life again. And you find Jesus because of the great crowds now that are even more expansive. Where is he driven out to? The desolate places. He and the leper trade places. See, I want you to know that there's a greater trade that Jesus makes as well. In fact, when you read the end of Mark's Gospel in Mark chapter 15, in verse 33, Mark says it this way, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why 
have you forsaken me? See, I want you to notice something. Jesus, who had a depth of intimacy with the Father, lost that intimacy on the cross as our sin, as our leprosy was laid on Him. So He's isolated and alienated from His Father, crying out in petition, where did you go? So that you and I, who are alienated from the Father, may become sons and daughters and share the very intimacy that Jesus shares with Him, has shared with Him for all of eternity, and now shares with Him once again, seated at His right hand. But that was only possible because He laid aside His intimacy with the Father to take our sin upon Himself at the cross so He might give to you the very life that He shares with His Father. Listen, church, His ministry, the scope is broad. His intimacy, it's, it's, it runs deep. And His touch in your life has lasting, eternal effects. If you've never experienced His touch, I want you to know you can today. I want you to know you can have intimacy with Him if you would come to Him as a child. Not as one who comes with their hands full saying, God, look at how good I am and everything that I've done, but with their hands empty. Not come boasting of their merits, but just throwing themselves upon God's mercy. And then, He will raise you up and He will allow you to be a part of this expansive scope of ministry. Of both word and deed. If that's you this morning and you've never been experienced his touch and come to him and said, If you will, make me clean. I'm going to be at the back of the room this morning after the service and I would love to connect with you. Answer any questions you have about what it means to place your faith in Jesus and be made whole. Let's pray together. Father, we come today thanking you for the truth of who your son is. That he indeed is able to make each of us clean, no matter how dirty we may find ourselves to be, whether through the surface needs of desperation or whether it be the duchess kind of needs in our lives that are below the surface that we've never seen. Father, I pray that for in, that in each instance that you'd help. The, us to see the full scope of our needs. And that we might come to you, might come to your Son and say, if you will, make me clean. And Father, if we would come and, and throw ourselves at your mercy, Father, you have promised that we could be made whole. And experience an intimacy with you. Like a child with their dad. And I pray that would be true for every soul in this room this morning. I ask it in Jesus' name.